Before we get into the message today, I, I want to just give you a, an idea of the structure of Matthew's Gospel. We've been spending uh, this year uh, in Matthew's Gospel, Series A of the Lectionary Readings. And his Gospel is really structured around five different speeches or discourses, as they're called. The, the first speech or discourse is the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5 to 7. The second discourse is called the Mission Discourse. That's Matthew chapter 10. The third is the Parable Discourse. If you recall uh, from some weeks ago, uh, the parables we were reading uh, from week to week, that's Matthew chapter 13. And the fourth discourse is our Gospel lesson for today and for next Sunday also. And, and I would call it the greatness discourse. In our way of thinking, the greatest are the most important people. Whoever the greatest are, they're the most important. That's kind of a worldly view of greatness. And so throughout the chapter, we learn about who is greatest in God's eyes, who's most important, who deserves priority. That's Matthew 18. And then the fifth discourse, uh, chapters 24 and 25, it's called the eschatological discourse or the end times speech of Jesus. He talks about the last days and he talks about his return. So that's kind of the structure. Five great speeches. He makes other, uh, there's other uh, words that he speaks outside of these five discourses, but these are the main parts of his teaching and the whole gospel structured around these five parts. We bow our heads and pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. So, I want you to imagine that you're living in the first century and you're in Rome. First century Rome and you're in a room where a woman is giving birth. Now, there's a very high mortality rate in infants born in antiquity. It's estimated between 40 and 50 percent of all infants die either in childbirth or shortly thereafter for a variety of reasons, 40 to 50 percent mortality. But this woman successfully gives birth. She doesn't die. The baby is successfully birthed. And then a midwife takes the child and puts the child on the floor. And in walks the father, the father of the household, and he's going to inspect the baby. Now, if he lifts up the child, it is symbolic recognition that the child is accepted into the family, a part of the family. If the father fails to pick up the child, turns his back and walks away, 
the child will be abandoned. Placed out in the street or along a roadside, in a woods somewhere. That's the way it was. And there were people who would go around collecting babies. These were slavers, most commonly. I mean, maybe somebody would be found by a childless couple. But usually, slavers would pick up the child and raise the child as a slave. Abortion in the ancient world, Greco-Roman world, was frequent. Abandonment of children happened a lot. These were acceptable practices. It was all legal. You may recall, in Exodus chapter 1, the king of Egypt wanted to get rid of the Israelite children, so he decreed that all male Israelite infants would be exposed or abandoned to the Nile River. It happened. Sex with children was perfectly acceptable in antiquity. It happened a lot. Roman numeral one, part A, number three, all of this occurred because children were considered non-persons. They were not considered fully human until they could walk and talk, or depending on the father of the household, when they could eat solid food. Then they're fully human. And so therefore, abandoning a child was really not much different than abandoning a pet. Now, I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't abandon a pet, but. People do. They, they take them out to the country and just turn them loose. That was the view of people in antiquity. Now, our Western civilization grew out of Greco-Roman culture. We, we borrow a lot from the Greeks and the Romans. Philosophy, mathematics, democracy, a republican or representative form of government. All of these are good things that we import from Greco-Roman culture, but their value of human life we never did import. Why not? Well, it was because of the influence of Judaism and Christianity on our culture. Letter B, in Israel, children were not role models. The Jews were very humane in their treatment of children. They understood these little ones bore the image of God, therefore they mattered. But they were never role models. Solomon wrote in Proverbs, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You know, children lack the wisdom that comes from experience. The early church father, Justin Martyr, wrote, we teach that it is wicked to expose even newborn children because almost all of them, boys as well as girls, end up in prostitution. So what brings about the change in our thinking toward children? 
It is the influence of the Old Testament, but especially our gospel lesson for this morning, in which Jesus shocks his disciples, Roman numeral 2, verses 1 to 4, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn, meaning unless you repent of your status seeking, and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. So not only are children the greatest in the kingdom, children and those who are childlike are the only ones who get into the kingdom. They're the only ones who qualify. So, letter A, the disciples seek high places, but Jesus calls them back to the kingdom's entrance, back to the portals of the kingdom. It's like you're playing a board game, and, and you land your piece on a certain square, and it says, go back to start, and you go back to go. And, and that's really emblematic. It's symbolic of the Christian life. We're always going back to the beginning because the beginning communicates who we really are in the sight of God. Number one, this is a call to be born again. You know, unless one is born of water and spirit, a reference there to God's work in baptism, he cannot enter. You don't even get in to the kingdom of God. And so, what is all the new birth talk about in the New Testament except a return to infancy, spiritual infancy? And so, this, number two, this is Christian maturity. Christian maturity is recognizing how vulnerable, how dependent, how weak you truly are in the sight of God. You're always that. You're always that before God. Therefore, let her be the little child is the model for the adult. And again, this is totally unlike anything else you'll read from antiquity. This just wasn't ever spoken, but Jesus speaks it. And number one, the idea is not to make yourself small but to realize how small you really are. And I cite, this is the gospel reading from several weeks back, Matthew 15, the Syrophoenician woman, the Gentile woman who comes to Jesus with a request. He keeps putting her off. And finally he says it's not right to take the children's crumbs and give them to dogs. And she comes back and says, yeah, but even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She understood that even the crumbs were sufficient for her need. Even God's crumbs were more than sufficient for her need. She didn't argue with Jesus. She didn't say, well, what do you mean you call me a dog? She understood that she had no rightful place in the ministry that he was conducting. 
None of us do. But we are what we are, and we have what we have by grace alone. She got that. It, it reminds me of that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? The Pharisee being proud, saying, I'm glad I'm not like other men, especially this tax collector, and the tax collector wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, there's a childlike spirit, one of complete dependence upon God. Number two, children like sheep are dependent on the care of others. This is why Jesus goes on to describe us as sheep who wander, you see. We are dependent upon the care of the shepherd, completely dependent. We don't defend ourselves. We don't find our way to the next pasture. We're led there by the shepherd. Lowercase a, to those who know they are nothing, Christ gives everything. To those who know they are nothing in the sight of God, Christ just pours out blessings. He opens the windows of heaven. This is why he said in the first discourse, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand they bring nothing to their relationship with God except their sin. And this is a God, this Christ, gladly takes all of those sins upon himself. Lowercase b, children allow themselves to be given to. They allow themselves to be, all they can do is receive. As we grow, it threatens our pride to receive. But children love to receive. They eagerly want to be given to. This is a hallmark of discipleship. The desire to receive, not just anything that you may want, but the desire to receive what God is giving actually giving forgiveness, eternal life. There's no shame in receiving these things. It is the status of a child, but a child of God. Children allow themselves to be given to. And they are content to do little things. Children always do little things. My grandsons were visiting yesterday, and... Um, they do little things. They play with this or with that. They'll sing. They'll do what's common to children. They do their little projects, but so do we. I love what Mother Teresa used to say. She said, do small things with great love. And that's what we're called to do in marriage, in our families. Little things, because in relationships, the little things are huge. They're huge. These are the things we do. So Roman numeral three, the application, literally the greatest among us are those most in need. Most in need. And that's what the whole chapter is about, Matthew 18. Who is most in need? 
those who depend on us, number one. Now, let me ask you this question. Who in your life is most in need of your attention, most in need of your encouragement and support, your affection? Who in your life is most in need of those things from you? If you're married, it might be the person sitting next to you. That person is the most needy for what you have to give. That person is the greatest in your circle of influence. And I would put the children in that category as well. They need the affection, the encouragement, the support that you give. These are little things, but they make a lasting relationship. They make a rich relationship. There are others who depend on us as well, shut-ins, the infirm. They need our attention as well. They need a phone call. They need a text. And, and that little investment of time can make all the difference in their day. That's how important they are. This elevates the role of a parent. Jesus affirms the role of parenting today in our gospel lesson. It, it affirms those who adopt. To receive one of these little ones is to receive Christ himself. Jesus identifies with them because they are in need. Those who mentor youth, who visit the elderly, who show attention to them, they should be affirmed by what Jesus has to say. And then number two, those who've wondered, and you better spell that W-A-N-D-E-R-E-D, -E -E I missed that, okay. Those who wandered from the flock. And there's many of those, all of us know who they are. You related to them. Your friends with them. Maybe you keep up the friendship even though we never see them here. I'm glad you keep up that friendship. But they need your encouragement too. Why? Because those who wonder, wander, those who wonder, that doesn't sound right, but that's how it's spelled W A N D E R. They don't return on their own. You ever notice that? Oh, well, I mean, maybe there's an exception here or there. They don't return on their own. Sheep don't come back on their own. They're brought back. We need to remember that. And then number three, those who've offended us, they're in need. They're, they've, maybe out of shame or whatever, they've placed themselves on the margin of your life, maybe just outside of your life. You see them in Walmart, and they, they go down the other aisle. They need you. Letter B. Caring for the least reveals Christ's care for us. I've said it before, and I'll say it many times before I die, that... 
God revealed his love to me through my mother. I mean, I thought to myself as a child growing up, if God could love me this much, and I think he does according to scripture, then I can love God. To care for the least reveals the love of Jesus to them. And then let her see, Christ really created childhood. The value we place upon children, on their lives, on their status, it is a result of what Jesus did and how he acted, what he said about the little ones. He saw children as complete human beings. They're fully and complete persons in the eyes of God. This is why the church has baptized children from the very beginning. You don't find any dispute about this among the early church fathers. It was common practice. Whole households were baptized. And this is why the Apostle John writes to little children in his first epistle. Uh, this is from John chapter 2, uh, 1 John 2. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. And some commentators will say, well, when he says little children, he doesn't mean actual, literal, little children. He means disciples who are very humble. I think he means both. But even if he meant the latter, what does it prove? It proves that this is who all of us are or should be in the eyes of God. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus refers to his disciples as children. He calls them that. He refers to them as little ones. Anyone who gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, he will not lose his reward. And Jesus said, I praise you, Father in heaven, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Little children. That's who we are in God's eyes. We're vulnerable. We're weak. We are completely dependent upon the loving care of our Father. And that loving care is revealed in spades in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I think all of us have heard the hymn, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. You've heard that. And as I've heard it, I thought, well, it doesn't really apply to me. I'm too old for that. Well, maybe it does apply to me. And maybe it applies to you. Little children are fully persons in the eyes of Jesus. And not only that, but little children and those who are childlike are the only persons God knows and recognizes as his own. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.